Very, very beautifully done. Yasher Koch to both of you, Serena and Kyle. You did a wonderful job. And I know it's not easy to come here in this space and do that, but you did your family and all of us quite proud this morning. You shared Torah and Haftarah with us. You embraced a tradition that's been handed down to you through so many generations. And you both taught us really important Torah this morning. Serena, you took seriously Joseph's somewhat surprising decision to forgive his brothers. They threw him into a pit and sold him into slavery, but when the time came and he was the one in a position of power, he ultimately decided to forgive them wholly and completely. And you taught us that real forgiveness is not a magic wand that makes tension or hurt disappear, but instead that it takes a real process and hard work and honesty to get there, and that it is, above all, worth it. And Kyle, you taught us to take a hard look at Judah, a man who started off jealous and too cowardly to save his brother Joseph, but then the years went on, and it was ultimately, as you said, Judah, who stands up for Benjamin, such that Joseph could see that Judah had changed that he had grown to be a person who protects those who are smaller than him. You helped us see Judah as a model for allowing ourselves to grow and evolve, to give ourselves whatever our weaknesses have been, to get unstuck so we can become who we are meant to be. These two teachings, finding ways to forgive others who have harmed us and giving ourselves permission to grow beyond our past limitations, these feel absolutely critical to this moment that we're living in. You know, I find Parshat Vayigash to be one of the most painful Torah portions to read, which is weird because mostly amazing things happen in this portion. Joseph forgives his brothers. He's reunited with his father. Family rifts are healed. It's a kind of happily ever after ending. But here's the thing about Parshat Vayigash. Remember, Joseph is in power because he interpreted Pharaoh's dreams correctly. There would be seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. And during the seven years of plenty, he had stored up all this extra food so that it would last through the famine. And this was a great strategy, but then as the years drag on and the famine has begun, the food supply has dwindled and the people are hungry. So they come to Joseph and they ask for food. That is his position in Egypt after all. But they have no money. So he sells it to them in exchange for their cattle. And later in exchange for their land. And then their produce. And ultimately in exchange for their personhood. As they become serfs to Pharaoh in order to survive. So now they own nothing. And Pharaoh owns everything. Because Joseph in trying to do something good consolidated it all under Pharaoh. All the money, all the cattle, all the land, all the growth, and finally, all the people. Now this Pharaoh's a pretty good guy, so it's mostly okay. But as we know, the next Pharaoh is not a pretty good guy. The next Pharaoh, now owning all the means of production, becomes paranoid 
that the Israelites are scheming to take his wealth away. And his answer to that paranoia is tyranny. Joseph has inadvertently put in place all of the necessary conditions for our own descent into slavery. Reading this Parsha to me always feels like watching a train wreck in slow motion. You see what's coming, but you cannot stop it every year from unfolding into disaster. In fact, when Jacob's father, when Jacob, Joseph's father, is joyfully on his way to Egypt to be reunited with Joseph, to see him alive and well for the first time in decades, he has a vision in which God calls to him, Jacob, Jacob. Ramban teaches that by calling him Jacob here and not Israel, which is the name that he was blessed with after wrestling with the angel, we are to understand that God's message for him is this, Jacob, you will not contend with God and men and prevail here, but instead you will be in a house of bondage here. The exile of your people now begins with you. So in this moment, our exile, our descent into darkness and slavery has already begun. This Parsha is so ominous. I know that it makes me think a little bit about where we are today. Have we unintentionally put all the conditions in place for our descent into darkness? Is the stage now set for our exile to begin? Hindsight is 2020, but foresight is less clear. Are we living in Joseph's times? Climate chaos seems to be increasing. The situation for Israelis and Palestinians seems to get worse each day. And the runway to our next national election is already littered with promises of dictatorship. Is this the slow motion train wreck that we can't stop? That feels terrible. That feels terrible. And I promise I'm not going to have us sit in that place for long. Because really, who can live that Parshat Vaigash life? It's just too much. And here's the thing. When Ramban taught that Jacob's vision was the beginning of our exile, there's a second part of the teaching. Yes, he says, the exile begins with you, Jacob. But he also says, Jacob, you will be in a house of bondage until God will also bring you up again. So this moment, it's not just the beginning of our exile, it also must be the beginning of our exodus. It matters how we understand what is happening now, what is ahead of us, and which of these stories we want to tell. A descent into darkness or an ascent into light. In climate, absolutely, there are those who say that we're not just in a descent, but we're in a freefall. Those who interpret what happened at COP28 as toothless posturing that will change nothing. But there are those who look down that path and say, no, this is the first time that countries publicly articulated the dangers of fossil fuels, and it's not everything, but it's a beginning to be built upon, a step towards the light. So we gotta ask ourselves in this Parshat Vayigash world, is this the beginning of our exile or the beginning of our exodus? In Israel and Palestine, I don't have to tell you how much it has felt like a descent into darkness. The atrocities of October 7th, the tragedy of the hostages, the massive death of Palestinians, including 7,000 children. 
It's hard to speak of ascent here. But as my friend Rabbi Sharon Brouse said this week in an interview with Christiana Amanpour, there has been more talk about a two-state solution in the past two months than there has been in the past 10 years. While the darkness is overwhelming now, we are bound to ask, is this the beginning of our exile or is it the beginning of our exodus? And for our own democracy, November could be a descent into tyranny or our country could do the work such that we come to realize that actually such an outcome doesn't serve anyone and we could decide to have hard conversations across great divides, the center of our country with the coasts, the wealthy with those who have little, indigenous folks with we who came much later and those who were forced to come, Democrats of good conscience and Republicans of good conscience who decide we'd rather see each other as people who mostly just want to provide for our families and live good lives and find ways through to not descend into our worst selves, but to begin to ascend into a little more light each day, not unlike the winter solstice. If Joseph can't break free from the hamster wheel of reliving his faded decisions every year that we read this Parsha, then how can we? Well, we have Torah, we have this story, and moreover, we have your teachings about this Torah. It is surely going to take a great deal to choose in this moment to tell an Exodus story instead of an exile story. It'll take new political analysis, new strategies, maybe new leadership. But when it comes to the heart of the people, I believe it will take the two things that you brought here today. Serena, for us to live this moment not as a descent into darkness, but as an ascent into light, it will be necessary for us to find a way to forgive those who have harmed us, like Joseph did, to do serious inner work, to let go of our deepest hurts so that we can see each other and so that we can see in the other a potential partner. And it won't be easy. In fact, it will be the hardest. But you gave us language for it. Yashar koach on that. And Kyle, equally important to set the conditions for exodus and not exile, is the ability to see ourselves as Judah, as people capable of growing and evolving, of being able to forgive ourselves our worst actions, our worst days, and believe that it's okay to change, okay to grow, to become more who we are meant to be. And you gave us words for this. Yashar Koach Anat. I pray, may we take seriously your teachings today. May we both see and write our stories as ones of hope and not despair. And may we be brave enough to abandon our hapless meandering towards exile and get to the work of laying the foundation for a better future. Amen.